0: Realm Presents, Bullet Catcher, Season 3, Episode 12.
1: The Road Home I put the creature down for bed and lie down beside it, staring at the den's gray stone ceiling. Around me is a circle of sleeping bodies. Each one of them seems so sure of themselves, So positive that what we are doing is the right thing, as if our victory is fated. Or maybe they've all lived long enough that the prospect of death holds little meaning to them anymore. They've already beaten the odds that say you should kick the bucket when you're closer to 30 than 60, and all this is just an opportunity for one last ride before sunset. It's as if I blink my eyes and suddenly it's mid-morning. I sit up and find all the bedrolls gone and the sounds of voices drifting into the den with the light from outside. A plate of eggs and a buttered hunk of bread topped with strawberry preserves waits for me, still steaming, beside my pillow. I eat quickly and head outside. The others are gathered around the wagon, loading it up and preparing to set off. The mood is dark. Everyone is tired, sore, and still a little embarrassed to have been bested so easily the day before. Speaking of which, Ricky is nowhere to be seen. Nor is Lena, for that matter. A gull caws overhead before dropping a bomb of white guano near me on the stone steps, splashing my boots. The creature reaches for the gull, high up on the wind, trying to grab it. Figuring that this might be the last chance either of us has to see the ocean in a long time, I swaddle the creature to me and head around the outcropping of rock to the end of the peninsula to see if I can find a way down to the water. Rounding the edge of the den, I spot a series of steps cut into the short cliff face, leading down, and I spot Lena from the top of the bluff, on the beach with her bare feet in the water. I watch as a wave rises, crests, and collapses toward her. She steps toward it, lifts her arms, and sweeps them aside, and the wave sweeps aside with her. I can't stop watching as I descend the steps, and when I arrive on the beach, I don't say anything, transfixed by her ability. Finally, she turns, and when she sees me, she smiles. How long have you been watching? Long enough to want to know how you did that. Take off your boots and stand in the water with me. I do as she says. The water is freezing, and I'm taken back to those cold winter mornings up on Lobo's Mountain, when I'd wake at dawn, head down to the lake with my towel and bar of soap, and have to step through the thin layer of ice to bathe. Look at the water. What do you see? Waves, foam, seabirds, a desert. You see a desert because the desert is your home. If you were raised on the plains, you'd see water like an acreage, fertile, abundant. If you were raised in the north, you'd see tundra. But what all of those places have in common is a vastness. In each one, you can stand and look in every direction and see the flat blue, or white, or green, or gold, stretching uninterrupted past the horizon. And each promises the same thing. What? Freedom. Freedom uninterrupted by obstacles. An alternative to the cloistered life in cities and towns, and the shared spaces of other people. You speak of other people as if they were a bad thing. Did I? You make it sound like as long as there are other people around, you will never be free. True. But then again, freedom is not the only worthwhile thing in the world. You forget who you're talking to. I gave my life, and at least a portion of my freedom, to the church. But there is beauty in sacrifice, in giving up autonomy for the benefit of others. I instinctively reach for the creature, cupping the back of its head in my palm, feeling the heat coming off its tiny body. We are creatures of the land. We are bound to it. If landlessness is freedom, then the earth represents all the ways we are connected to each other. You ask how I manipulated the water. I did so by imagining the ocean as an attacker and the land as what needed protecting. Think for yourself what most needs saving, and then imagine yourself as the shield, and you will find the power to do almost anything. A short time later, the wagon is packed and everyone is on board. Everyone except for Ricky, who watches us go from the stone steps leading up to their den. Even a good hour after we've set off, traveling first inland and then north, I can't help but stick my head out the window with the expectation or hope that Ricky has changed their mind and is catching up on horseback. But the road behind us is empty. "'What do we do now?' I ask." slumping back onto the bench. "'We've wasted too much time and wandered too far south. Now we have no choice but to return to Watertown, and hope we've gathered enough force to stop the gunslingers,' says Cass. "'And also hope that there's still a Watertown to save,' adds Nico. He looks tired. There are dark circles under his eyes, and he hasn't bothered to shave. I can tell he's thinking about Rainer, hoping he's okay.' I recommend we make a short stop along the way, says Daniel. For what? You are not the first bullet catchers from the old days to seek me out. Some years back, Ravia and Paz came to see me. They had grown sick of hiding, of pretending they were people they're not, and wanted to know if I wanted to join them, like the old days. I declined, but if I ever changed my mind, they told me I could find them in Las Almas. Nico pulls out a map and unrolls it on his lap. He finds our location and the pass that will lead us back to Watertown. It's not far out of the way. A day, maybe? We could risk it. Then it's settled, says Cass. We head for Las Almas and pray we find Ravi and Paz. We drive north as fast as the horses can run. By the second day, we've crossed out of the greenness of the deep south back into the heat of the desert. My skin prickles with the sense of returning. Now we weave through a forest of rock rising like so many spears, stuck tip first into the ground. The ground is littered with a strange stone, which catches the light like quartz, making the valley glitter the color of gold and blood. They're trees, Lena says. What made them this way? Time and pressure. Age does that, says Daniel. It either toughens you up or makes you soft. "'I suppose you have to be pretty tough to live so long,' "'I muse, staring out the window at the forest of stone. "'I have found that kindness works just as well,' says Daniel. "'Then he settles back into his seat and closes his eyes "'and is almost immediately asleep. "'His words remind me of Lobo "'and of the love in his words "'that I know only came for him later in life, "'that hard-fought-for kindness. "'Looking around the cabin,' I see Lobo's face reflected in each of them, in some way, as though when he died he broke into seven different pieces. There is even a piece for the creature, for all those nights since its birth that we've stayed up looking at the stars, for the wonder in its eyes that one day may turn to wisdom. And I can only hope there is a piece in me, too, and that I won't betray it by doing the wrong thing. The wagon skids to a halt, Yu slaps his hand on the side of the wagon, and Cass and Lena head outside to see what's up. And when they don't come back right away, Nico and I follow them. They're on the top of the wagon, passing a pair of binoculars back and forth. What's going on? Gunslingers. I climb up to the top of the wagon. Cass passes me the binoculars. And there, some miles ahead of us, spread across the road north, is the largest group of gunslingers I've seen outside of the Northland. What do we do? We have to go around them, says Nico, taking the binoculars and looking for himself. We'll lose at least a week if we go around, says Cass. Look, they're guarding the pass between the rift and the plateau. It would be as good as killing us, says Lena. So, then we ride through them. They all turn to stare at me like I'm crazy. If the only way forward is through, then we cut through. How do you suppose we do that without getting ourselves killed, Nico asks. We have a wagon full of bullet catchers. We are our own armor. Half an hour later, we're ready to go. Daniel and Lena have jerry-rigged the bindings tethering the horses to the wagon so that they can sit up with them and protect them from gunfire. We've removed the doors from the wagon so that Cass and I can stand in the open doorways and fight off the bullets. Nico sits up in the driver's seat with you, his rifle lying across his lap. This is crazy, he says. It's not too late to back out. He shakes his head. If this is the only way to get back to Rainer, I'd cut through a hundred gunslingers. Good, because that's exactly the deal. I climb up into the wagon where Cass is waiting. She looks tired. She sits with the back of her head resting on the seat, her eyes closed. You okay? She opens her eyes and smiles at me. I was just thinking of Lobo she says. What about him? She shakes her head. I'll save it for later, if it comes to it. And then she picks herself off the bench, stretches her back and says, better get going before one of us loses their nerve. We take our positions in the doorways. I lean down and kiss the top of the creature's head. And then I slap the side of the wagon. You shakes the reins, the wagon jolts, and we're on our way. We roll quickly toward the blockade, you driving the horses as fast as they can go. I hang half outside the door, watching the gunslingers as they first recognize us, watch our approach, and then, realizing we're not detouring, scramble into formation. The gunslingers stand in tight squad formation, blocking the road, with more on horseback in front of and behind those on foot. They were transported here by wagon and motor buggy, but, foolishly, they haven't used either of those things to block the road. I guess the last thing in the world they thought we'd do was to attempt a straight-on assault. I can only hope that surprise will lend us some kind of edge. We might have the daring, but they have the numbers. The gunfire starts tentatively, as though to ask, Are you really doing this? And up ahead, atop the horses, Lena and Daniel deflect them easily. But when it becomes apparent we have no intention of turning back or stopping, The gunslingers organize themselves and begin the onslaught in measured volleys. We carve through the gunfire like a wedge, making a triangular pocket for us to pass through. And on both sides of the wagon there is a grey wall of bullets, flowing away from the point where Lena and Daniel sit atop their horses, as though they were doing nothing more than parting a curtain for us to pass through. When we meet the blockade, many of the gunslingers refuse to move out of the way. Either through discipline or stubbornness or foolishness, they make a wall with their bodies, and the horses crash right through them. For a few moments, the sounds of screaming and of bodies passing under the wagon wheels blot out the sound of gunfire. Behind us, we leave two tracks in the sandy ground, traced red with gunslinger blood. And now we are in the heart of the blockade, with gunslingers all around us, a countless number of them firing from every angle. There is no time to think, or fear, or second guess. My hands find their old rhythm. I am the shield, and nothing will get through. I sense the air around me like a bubble, where not even gravity can penetrate. The bullets drift into my space and are suddenly deprived of momentum, tumbling to the ground like birds shot out of the sky. Nearly there, Nico yells from up top, and I dare look ahead of us. There is the end of the blockade and, beyond that, the narrow pass and high cliffs of the plateau. From behind me, a bullet whizzes past my ear and hits the doorframe, sending splinters flying. There's no time to look back. Cass, you okay over there? You worry about yourself, young'un, she yells back, and that's good enough for me. And then we break through the line. Behind us, the scattered and confused gunslingers chase after, firing their guns into the air, not even bothering to aim. A few coax their horses into giving chase, or climb into the buggies and start the engines. Up top comes the sound of Nico climbing to the back of the wagon. He lies prone on the roof and takes careful aim through the scope of his rifle. And after we pass through the cut in the plateau, he fires shot after shot into the rock walls on either side of us. For a moment, there's only the sound of the horses galloping, the crunch of stones under the wagon wheels, and the increasingly distant sounds of the gunslingers giving chase. Then a low rumble starts from high up in the rock walls. And a moment later, rocks and small boulders tumble down, blocking the path behind us. From up ahead, I hear Lena and Daniel send up a cheer. I watch the rock barricade, half expecting it to suddenly tumble away and reveal the gunslingers in dogged pursuit. But the new wall stands fast and the gunslingers don't try to climb over the top or carve their way through. Holy shit, Cass, I think we did it. She doesn't answer. And when I turn around, there is the other half of the cabin riddled and splintered by bullets, blood thrown on the walls and floors like deep red shadows and Cass lying on the floor, half propped up against the bottom of the bench. Falling to my knees, I scoop her up in my arms. Her whole body is slick with blood. It covers my arms and gets on the creature. She's breathing, but unconscious. There's no telling how many times she was hit. Help! I scream at the top of my lungs. Help! The creature starts to cry. The wagon skids to a stop, and suddenly there's Nico kneeling down beside me, his lips pursed in concentration while Daniel and Lena stand over us, watching. Nico checks her over. He has to pry my arms away to look for the wounds. I can't let go of her. Her body seems to have shrunk with the loss of blood. She seems so old and frail in my arms. Emma, Emma! Nico shakes me by the shoulders, and suddenly I'm back in my body. We need to stop the bleeding now, he says, before ordering everyone back in the wagon and for you to get back in the driver's seat and get us to Las Almas as fast as possible. Daniel and Lena lend us their kits. Daniel takes the creature, holding its head against his chest so it can't see the bloody scene all around. Lena dabs and cleans the blood from its face with a handkerchief. Nico and I get to finding her wounds, sewing her up wherever possible, and with the bad ones, like the bullet too deep in her belly to get at, and the one lodged amongst the shattered bone in her arm, we do our best to tie off and staunch the bleeding. There's only so much we can do, and... hours later... With the light outside gone out so that all we have to see by are the dim oil lanterns inside the cabin, Nico and I resign ourselves to the fact that we've done all we possibly can. Lena hands me a canteen. I take a swig and then pour some into my palms to splash on my face. I taste blood. My hair is stuck to my forehead and matted with blood. But she's still alive. I pass the canteen to Nico, and he just holds it like he doesn't know what it's for. Emma, Cass says weakly, not opening her eyes. I lean forward, the adrenaline surging through my tired body once again. I'm here. We made it. We got through. Her eyes slide open, and she looks at me. I know.
0: and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: We roll into Las Almas just before dawn, when the night is blackest. It's a small city, orange and white adobe buildings rising out of the flat desert, as though they had formed there on their own. The streets... Lit by pale green lamps are empty. We hunt for a sign advertising a doctor's office, and finally find one outside a squat, squarish building near the central plaza. Between us, Nico and I lift Cass out of the wagon and bring her to the steps leading up to the office. Lena pounds on the door. Daniel holds the creature, bouncing it up and down to keep it from crying. After a few moments, a light comes on in the second floor window. The shutters fly open, and a man in a nightshirt angrily sticks his head out the window. ''Do you have any goddamn idea what time it is?'' he shouts down. But when he sees us on his front steps, the dark blood-like oil slicks staining our clothes and Cass unconscious in our arms, he quickly retreats back into his room, and a few moments later the front door is pulled open and he ushers us inside. The doctor directs us down the hall and into the operating room. The house smells like sage and rubbing alcohol. We ease Cass onto the table as the doctor begins to wash up at a large basin at the far side of the room. He's dressed in only his nightshirt. His feet are bare. He wears a snood over a perfectly waxed and curled mustache. His hair sits perfectly on one side of his head and sticks straight up on the other, where he had rested his head on his pillow. He ties a smock around his waist and comes over to the table. She's been shot in the gut and arm, the leg twice. I start rattling off her injuries. The doctor stares seriously at Cass. "'I need you all to leave the room,' he says. "'There's no way I can't operate effectively with all of you in the room. "'Please, if you want her to live, you need to leave.' Cass groans. "'I look down and realize I'm still holding her hand, "'our fingers stuck together with blood. "'I place her hand by her side on the table "'and let Nico guide me out of the room. "'The doctor follows us to the door. "'There's a kitchen at the end of the hall,' Make yourself some coffee. There's food. And then he closes the door behind us. For a few moments, we all linger outside the door. For hours, we had driven the horses to exhaustion in order to get to Las Almas. For hours, I had cradled Cass's head in my lap, whispering to her, hoping that she could hear me, hoping she knew that none of us had given up on her. For hours, Daniel and Lena passed the creature back and forth between them, comforting the crying child because its mother couldn't care for it and Cass at the same time. For hours, Nico had sat beside me, holding my hand in his, as though lending me strength. We drag ourselves into the kitchen. Nico brews coffee. We sit at the small table, the steaming mugs warming our hands, getting blood everywhere. There's a loaf of stale bread and butter, but no one can eat. From down the hall come the terrifying sounds of the doctor operating on Cass. I don't know how much time passes before the door to the operating room opens again, but new yellow sunlight streams in through the gaps in the shuttered windows, throwing bright bars across the floor. The doctor walks across the bars of light and steps into the dim kitchen. His hands in front are covered in blood. There's a red swipe across his forehead, where he likely pushed the sweat out of his eyes. We all stand when he comes into the room. It's Lena who has the courage to ask. Is she? She's still unconscious. I'm afraid to say that she might never wake up. My mouth goes dry. Can we see her? He steps aside. Silently, we make our way down the hall and into the operating room. Cass lies on the table. Her clothes have been cut open so the doctor could get to the wounds. The knives and tools still lie on a metal tray, covered in drying blood. A bowl of water beside the table is deep red. Cass' breathing is shallow. It's not until I'm right up next to her that I notice her arm. The one where the bone was shattered has been amputated, just above the elbow. When I see the white bandage colored red at the end, I grab Nico to steady myself. He puts his arm on my back. Do you have a place you're staying in town? Not yet, says Daniel. The inn is at the town center. I know the woman who runs it. She's very discreet. I can send a message ahead while we prepare your friend to be moved. They will have a bed set up. She will need to be watched. If she survives the night, she might pull through. You're listening
0: to Bullet Catcher Season 3 by Joaquin Lowe produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
1: Leviathan was created as a sanctuary. No, it's too much. A- a-
0: a- a monument to hope.
1: No! We
0: have to run! And the last refuge of escape. We have to leave now! We've got coming! I am a Valkyrie. Damn it! I murder
1: gods. <laughs>
0: and I will bring the raging infernos of hell to meet me under all of the water in the sea! Leviathan was built to represent hope. It will
1: still be our salvation.
0: Discover the Leviathan Chronicles and listen to all three seasons of the award-winning Immortal Saga. Available at leviathanchronicles.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Immortality or freedom? Which would you choose? Bullet Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Marco Palmieri. And executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Inez del Castillo. Audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi, with performances by Justin Morel and Josh Deutsch. Cover art by Christine Barcelona.